Chapter 12 of The Countess of Rudolstadt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Countess of Rudolstadt by George Sand. Translated by Francis G. Shaw. Chapter 12. Immediately after the opera, the hall was leveled, illuminated, decorated according to custom, and the grand masked ball, called at Berlin the Ridotto, was opened precisely at midnight. The company present was passably mixed, since the princes and perhaps the princesses of the blood royal were confounded with the actors and actresses of all the theaters. The porporina glided in alone, dressed as a nun, a costume which allowed her to conceal her neck and shoulders under the veil and her form under a very ample robe. She felt the necessity of making herself unrecognizable in order to escape the remarks which her meeting with Monsieur de Saint-Germain might occasion, and she was not sorry to prove the perspicacity of the latter, who had boasted that he would discover her, however disguised she might be. She had, therefore, arranged this simple and easy dress alone and without admitting her maid to her confidence, and she had come closely enveloped in a long pelisse, which she did not put off until she was in the midst of the crowd. But she had not made the round of the hall before she remarked an annoying circumstance. A mask of her size and apparently of her sex, dressed in a nun's costume, precisely similar to her own, came and placed herself before her several times, jesting with her upon their identity. "'Dear sister,' said this nun to her, "'I am very desirous of knowing which of us is the shadow of the other.' and as it seems to me that you are lighter and more transparent than myself, I ask to touch your hand in order to be sure if you are my twin sister or my specter. Consuelo avoided these attacks and endeavored to gain her dressing room in order to change her costume and to make some modifications which should prevent a mistake. She feared that the Count de Saint-Germain, in case he had obtained, in spite of her precautions, some information respecting her disguise, might address himself to her socia and speak of the secrets he had mentioned the night before. But she had no opportunity. A capuchin was already in pursuit of her and soon seized her arm, whether she would or no. "'You will not avoid me, sister,' said he to her in a low voice. "'I am your father confessor and will tell you your sins. You are the Princess Amelia.' You are a novice, brother, replied Consuelo, disguising her voice as is customary at masquerades. You are but poorly acquainted with your penitence. Oh, it is very useless to disguise your voice, sister. I do not know if you wear the costume of your order, but you are the abbess of Quedlinburg, and you may as well acknowledge it to me, who am your brother, Henry. Consuelo did, in fact, recognize the voice of the prince who had often spoken with her and who had quite a remarkable lisp. To be sure that her socia was indeed the princess, she denied again, and the prince added, I saw your costume at the tailor's, and as there is no secret for princes, I discovered yours. Come, let us lose no time in chatting. You cannot pretend to puzzle me, my dear sister." and it is by no means with the intention of tormenting you that I attach myself to your side. I have something serious to say to you. Come a little apart with me. Consuelo allowed herself to be led away by the prince, 
fully resolved to show her face rather than take advantage of his heir in order to discover the family secrets. But at the first words he addressed to her when they had reached the box, she became attentive in spite of herself and thought she had a right to listen to the end. Be careful that you do not go too fast with the porporina, said the prince to his pretended sister. It is not that I doubt her discretion and the nobleness of her heart. The most important personages of the order guarantee these, and though you should again laugh at the nature of my feelings for her, I will say moreover that I share your sympathy for that amiable person. But neither those personages nor myself are of opinion that you should compromise yourself with her before we are sure of the disposition of her mind. An enterprise that would at once seize upon an ardent imagination like your own, or a justly irritated mind like mine, may at first frighten a timid girl, doubtless a stranger to all politics and all philosophy. The reasons which have operated on you are not such as to make an impression upon a woman placed in so different a sphere. Leave therefore to Trismegistus or to St. Germain the care of this initiation. But has not Trismegistus gone, said Consuelo, who was too good an actress not to be able to imitate the hoarse and changing voice of the Princess Amelia. That you must know better than I, since the man has no relations here with anyone but you. As for myself, I do not know him. But Monsieur de St. Germain appears to me the most skillful workman, and the person most extraordinarily well acquainted with the science which interests us. We must do our best to attach this beautiful cantatrice to ourselves and to save her from the dangers that threaten her. Is she then really in danger? asked Consuelo. She will be if she persists in repelling the sighs of Monsieur de Marquise. What Marquise? asked Consuelo, astonished. You are very absent, sister. I speak of Fritz or the Grand Lama. Yes, the Marquise of Brandenburg, returned the Porporina, understanding at last that he referred to the king. But are you very sure that he thinks of that little girl? I will not say that he loves her, but he is jealous of her. And then, sister, you must acknowledge that you compromise that poor girl by taking her for your confidant. Well, I know nothing of that. I wish to know nothing. But in the name of heaven, be prudent and don't let our friends suspect that you are animated by any other sentiment than that of political liberty. We have resolved to adopt your Countess de Rudolstadt. When she is initiated and bound by oaths, promises, and threats, you will run no risk with her. Until then, I conjure you, refrain from seeing her and speaking to her of your concerns and ours. And to begin, remain no longer at the ball, where your presence is not proper, and where the Grand Lama will certainly know that you have come. Give me your arm to go out. I can accompany you no further. I am considered under arrest at Potsdam, and the palace walls have eyes that would pierce a mask of iron. At this moment someone knocked at the door of the box, and as the prince did not open, the person insisted. That is a very impertinent fellow to wish to enter a box where there is a lady, said the prince, showing his bearded mask at the door window. But a red domino with a livid face, the aspect of which was rather frightful, appeared and said to him with a singular gesture, It rains. This announcement appeared to make a great impression on the prince. Must I go or remain? asked he of the red domino. You must seek, replied the domino, for a nun exactly like this one who was wandering about in the crowd. 
I will take charge of Madame, added he, designating Consuelo and entering the box, which the prince hurriedly opened for him. They exchanged some words in a low voice, and the prince went out without saying another word to the porporina. Why, said the red domino, seating himself at the bottom of the box and addressing Consuelo, did you take a disguise precisely similar to that of the princess? It was exposing her as well as yourself to fatal mistakes. I do not recognize therein either your prudence or your devotedness. If my costume be similar to that of any other person, I am entirely ignorant of the fact, said Consuelo, who kept on her guard with her new companion. I thought it was a jest of the carnival arranged between you two. Since it is not so, Madam Countess, and chance alone has occasioned it, let us speak of yourself and abandon the princess to her fate. But if any one be in danger, sir, it does not seem to me that the part of those who talk of devotedness is to remain with their arms folded. The person who had just left you will watch over that august giddy brain. Doubtless you are not ignorant that the matter interests him more than it does us, for that person also pays court to you. You are mistaken, sir, and I do not know this person any more than I know you. Besides, your language is neither that of a friend nor of a jester. You will, therefore, permit me to return to the ball. Permit me first to ask you for a pocketbook which has been entrusted to you for me. Not so, I have not been entrusted with anything for anybody. That is well, you should say so, but with me it is useless. I am the Count de St. Germain. I know nothing of that. Even if I should take off my mask, as you have only seen my features in a dark night, you would not recognize me but here are my credentials. The red domino presented to Consuelo a sheet of music accompanied by a sign which she could not mistake. She gave him the pocketbook, not without trembling, and taking care to add, Take notice of what I have said. I am not entrusted with any message for you. It is I, I alone, who send these letters and the accompanying drafts to the person you know of. So it is you who are the Baron de Tranc's mistress? Consuelo, terrified at the frightful falsehood required of her, kept silence. Reply, madam, resumed the red domino. The baron does not conceal from us that he receives consolation and assistance from a person who loves him. Is it then indeed you who are the friend of the baron? It is I, replied Consuelo firmly, and I am as much surprised as wounded by your questions. Can I not be the baron's friend without being exposed to the brutal expressions and insulting questions which you are pleased to make use of towards me? The affair is too serious a one for you to stand upon words. Listen attentively. You charge me with a commission which compromises me and exposes me to personal danger of more than one kind. There may be therein some concealed political intrigue, and I do not wish to engage in it. I have given my word to the friends of Monsieur de Tranc to serve him in a love affair. Let us understand clearly. I have not promised to serve friendship. The word is too vague and makes me anxious. I know that you are incapable of lying. If you tell me positively that Tranc is your lover, and if I can inform Albert de Rudolstadt, just heaven, sir, do not torment me thus. Albert is no more. In the language of men, he is dead, I know. But for you, as for me, he is eternally living. If you mean it in a religious and symbolic sense, it is the truth. But if in a material sense, 
Let us not discuss. A veil still covers your mind, but that veil will be raised. What is necessary for me to know at present is your position with regard to Trank. If he is your lover, I will take charge of this remittance on which his life perhaps depends, for he is deprived of all resources. If you refuse to declare yourself, I refuse to be your messenger. Well, said Consuelo, with a painful effort, he is my lover. Take the pocketbook and let him have it as soon as possible. It is enough, said Monsieur de St. Germain, taking the pocketbook. Now, noble and courageous girl, let me say that I admire and respect you. This is only a trial to which I wish to subject your devotedness and your self-denial. I know all. I know that you lie from generosity and that you have been sacredly faithful to your husband. I know that the Princess Amelia, even while making use of me, does not deign to grant me her confidence and that she labors to free herself from the tyranny of the Grand Lama without ceasing to play the princess and the prude. She is true to her character and does not blush to expose you, you, a poor girl without position, as the people of the world say, to an eternal misfortune. Yes, to the greatest of misfortunes, that of preventing the brilliant resurrection of your husband and of plunging his present existence into the purgatory of doubt and despair. But happily, between the soul of Albert and your own, a chain of invisible hands is constantly extended to place in communication her who labors upon the earth in the light of the sun and him who labors in an unknown world far from the eyes of vulgar men. This strange language agitated Consuelo, though she had resolved to mistrust the captious declamations of pretended prophets. Explain yourself, Sir Count, said she, endeavoring to retain a calm and cold air. I know well that Albert's part is not terminated upon the earth, and that his soul has not been annihilated by the breath of death. But the connection which may exist between him and myself is covered by a veil which my own death alone can raise, if it please God to grant us a vague remembrance of our preceding existences. This is a mysterious matter, and it is not in the power of anyone to assist the celestial influence which unites in a new life those who have loved each other in a former one. What then do you pretend to make me believe by saying that certain sympathies watch over me to effect that union? I might speak to you of myself alone, replied Monsieur de Saint-Germain, and say that having known Albert in all time, as well when I served under his orders in the War of the Hussites against Sigismund, as later in the Thirty Years' War, when he was, I know, sir, that you pretend to remember all your anterior existences, as Albert himself was unhealthfully and fatally persuaded. I thank God I never suspected his good faith in this matter, but that belief was so connected in him with a state of delirious exaltation that I have never accepted the reality of that exceptional and perhaps inadmissible power. Spare me, then, the embarrassment of listening to your strange conversation upon that subject. I know that many persons, impelled by a frivolous curiosity, would be pleased to be now in my situation and to receive, with a smile of encouragement and pretended credulity, the wonderful histories which I am told you relate so well. But I do not know how to act a part except when obliged to do so, and I could not be amused by what are called your reveries. 
they would remind me too forcibly of those which so terrified and afflicted me in the Count de Rudelstadt. Deign, therefore, to reserve them for those who wish to share them, for nothing in the world would I wish to deceive you by pretending to believe them, and even if those reveries did not awaken in me any sorrowful recollection, I could not be willing to make sport of you. Be pleased, therefore, to answer my questions without endeavoring to mislead my judgment by words of a vague and twofold meaning. To assist your frankness, I will say that I already know you have peculiar and mysterious views respecting me. You are to initiate me into I know not what important confidence, and some persons of high rank depend upon you to give me the first notions of I know not what occult science. Persons of high rank are sometimes strangely mistaken, Madame Countess, said the Count very calmly. I thank you for the loyalty you display towards me, and will refrain from touching upon things which you would not understand, perhaps from want of will to understand them. I will only say that there is in fact an occult science upon which I pride myself, and in which I am assisted by superior light, but that science has nothing supernatural about it, since it is purely and simply that of the human heart, or, if you prefer, a deep knowledge of human life in its most inward springs and most secret actions. And to prove to you that I do not boast, I will tell you exactly what passes in your own heart since you are separated from the Count de Rudelsat, always with your permission. I consent, replied Consuelo, for on this point I know that you cannot impose upon me. Well, you love for the first time in your life, you love completely, truly, and he whom you love thus in the tears of repentance, for you did not love him a year ago, he whose absence is bitter to you, whose disappearance has discolored your life and taken all enchantment from your future, is not the Baron de Trank, for whom you have only a grateful friendship and a quiet sympathy, is not Joseph Hayden, who is for you only a younger brother in Apollo, is not King Frederick, who terrifies and interests you at the same time, is not even the handsome Anzalito, whom you can no longer esteem. It is he whom you saw lying upon his bed of death and clothed in the ornaments which the pride of noble families places even in the tomb, upon the shroud of the dead. It is Albert de Rudolstadt. Consuelo was for an instant struck by this revelation of her secret feelings from the mouth of a man whom she did not know, but on thinking that she had related her whole life and laid bare her very heart the preceding evening before the Princess Amelia, and recalling all that Prince Henry had allowed her to guess of the relations of the princess with a mysterious brotherhood in which the Count de St. Germain bore one of their principal parts, she ceased to be astonished and ingenuously told the latter that she did not consider it a great merit in him to know things which she had recently confessed to a very indiscreet friend. "'You mean the abbess of Quedlinburg?' said Monsieur de Saint-Germain. "'Well, will you believe my word of honor? "'I have no right to question it,' replied the porporina. "'Then I give you my word of honor,' returned the Count, "'that the princess has not said a word to me of you,' for the reason that I have never had the advantage of exchanging a single word with her, nor with her confidant, Madame de Kleist. Still, sir, you have a connection with her, at least indirectly. 
As to myself, all that connection consists in transmitting to her Trank's letters and receiving hers for him through a third person. You see that her confidence in me does not go very far, since she persuades herself that I am ignorant of the interest she takes in our fugitive. However, this princess is not perfidious. She is only foolish, as all tyrannical natures become when oppressed. The servants of truth have hoped much from her and have granted her their protection. Heaven grant they may not be obliged to repent it. You judge severely an interesting and unhappy princess, Sir Count, and perhaps are badly acquainted with her affairs. I myself am ignorant of them. Do not tell a useless falsehood, Consuelo. You supped with her last night, and I can tell you all the circumstances. Here the Count de St. Germain related the smallest details of the supper of the night before, from the conversation of the princess and Madame de Clice, even to the dresses they wore, the bill of fare of the entertainment, the meeting with the sweeper, etc. He did not stop there, but also mentioned the visit which the king had made that morning to our heroine, the words exchanged between them, the cane raised upon Consuelo, the threats and repentance of Frederick, all, even to the smallest gestures and the expression of their features, as if he had been present at the scene. He ended by saying, And you were very wrong, artless and generous child, to allow yourself to be taken by the returns of friendship and goodness which the king knows how to assume on occasion. You will repent of it. The royal tiger will make you feel his claws, unless you accept a protection more efficacious and more honorable, a protection truly paternal and all-powerful, which will not be bounded by the narrow limits of the Marquisette of Brandenburg, but which will hover over you on the whole surface of the earth and would follow you even to the deserts of the New World. I know only God, replied Consuelo, who can exercise such a protection and who will extend it even over a being so insignificant as I am. If I incur any danger here, it is in him that I place my hope. I should distrust all other care of which I know neither the means nor the motives. Distrust does not become great souls, returned the Count, and it is because Madame de Rudelstadt is a great soul that she has a right to the protection of the true servants of God. This is the sole motive of that which is offered you. As to their means, they are immense and differ as much in their power and their morality from those possessed by kings and princes as the cause of God differs in its sublimity from that of the despots and triumphant heroes of this world. If you have love and confidence in divine justice alone, you are compelled to recognize his actions in the men of virtue and intelligence who are here below the ministers of his will and the executors of his supreme law. To redress wrongs, to protect the weak, to repress tyranny, to encourage and recompense virtue, to spread abroad the principles of morality, to preserve the holy deposit of honor, such has been in all time the mission of a venerable and illustrious phalanx, which, under various names and different forms, has been perpetuated from the origin of societies until our day. See the gross and inhuman laws that govern nations, see the prejudices and errors of men, see everywhere the monstrous traces of barbarism. How could you conceive that, in a world so badly governed by the ignorance of the masses and the perfidy of the rulers, any virtues can be put forth and any true doctrines made known? 
It is so, nevertheless, and we see lilies without spot, flowers without stain, souls like your own, like Albert's, grow and shine upon the terrestrial mud. But do you believe that they could preserve their perfume, save themselves from the impure bites of reptiles, and resist the storm, if they were not sustained and saved by succoring powers, by friendly hands? Do you believe that Albert, that sublime man, a stranger to all vulgar turpitudes, superior to humanity, so far as to appear mad in the eyes of the profane, drew from himself alone all his greatness, all his faith? Do you believe that he was an isolated fact in the universe, and that he never refreshed himself at a center of sympathy and hope? And you yourself, do you think you would be what you are, had not the divine breath passed from Albert's soul into yours? But now that you are separated from him, cast into a sphere unworthy of you, exposed to all dangers, to all temptations, a girl of the theater, confident of the love of a princess, and reputed mistress of a king worn by debauchery and frozen by selfishness, can you hope to preserve the immaculate purity of your original candor? If the mysterious wings of the archangels are not spread as a celestial aegis over you, Beware, Consuelo, it is not in yourself, in yourself alone at least, that you can find the strength you require. Even the prudence on which you pride yourself will be easily baffled by the spirit of malice that wanders in darkness around your virgin pillow. Learn then to respect the holy militia, the invisible army of the faith, which already forms a rampart around you. They ask of you neither engagements nor services, they order you only to be docile and confiding when you feel the unexpected effects of their beneficial adoption. I have said enough. It is for you to reflect thoughtfully upon my words, and when the time shall come, when you see miracles accomplished around you, recollect all that is possible to those who believe and labor in common, to those who are equal and free. Yes, to them nothing is impossible for the recompense of merit, and if yours should be so exalted as to obtain from them a sublime reward, know that they could even resuscitate Albert and restore him to you. Having spoken thus in a tone animated by an enthusiastic conviction, the red domino rose, and without awaiting Consuelo's reply, bowed himself before her and left the box, where she remained for some moments motionless and as if lost in strange reveries. End of chapter 12, read by Bryce Cries, January 2022.